This is the most wonderful time of the year. Ding. Ay, ay, ay. So how's things there? <laughs> Pretty good. All right, we have a fairly long episode, I think, so we should probably get this rolling. Um, mm-hmm. And let me start by asking you a bit of a meta question. Meta? Meta? Whatever. Um, I don't think anybody says meta. Okay. Uh, a meta question. Is it bad to do a show that's entirely follow-up? And I'm not at all asking because this episode might go that way, wink, wink. But I was thinking about it earlier today, and... When we have ATP episodes that are nothing but follow-up, sometimes I'm like, man, maybe we should have, like, changed how we handled that or abridged a lot of it so it would go a little quicker or what have you. Um, But on the other side of the coin, if we're following up, we're following up because listeners or, you know, people in the community have told us things. And so it's more of a two-way street when we do follow-up, right? And that's good, right? I think that this is a real gray area. And and I have felt this way uh, from previous episodes of my shows and from previous episodes of ATP. Mm-hmm. It can you can there's a real fine line that's difficult. So you can end up in a scenario where all you're doing is just correcting and adding on from last week, mm-hmm. or you can do what I think we're doing today, which is taking the previous discussion into a uh, more in depth discussion. So, like, we have a lot uh, later on today talking about um, the idea of having a Relay FM community Slack, which we, we touched upon last week and kind of shrugged off. But we have a, quite a bit of f- feedback um, and a very long uh, email that was sent to us where we'll be using that to go into a bit more depth. Mm-hmm. So, and I think yeah. that's a fair distinction, actually, um, that if you're just making minor corrections maybe it's not really worth going on and on about. Well, but I don't know, because you are inevitably going to be repeating yourself, right, from episode to episode. You know, yeah, there's just yeah. going to be a lot of crossover between last week's episode and this week's episode. Well, especially that it was like two weeks ago as well, which maybe makes it a little bit more difficult, right, because you're waiting for two weeks, and then if you don't like this, you're just going to get more of the same. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it was just, I, this wasn't my intention. I just started sure. putting together the follow-up for this week and was like, oh, my gosh. oh <laughs> quite a few people had quite a lot to say about this. So in my mind, I, I thought, oh, this is something we should continue to discuss. If it's just, you know, and, and i tell you why it's different here for, for the ATP is the size of the audience. Um, we mm, got mm. quite a lot of follow-up about these topics last week um, from, from the last time this week. Way more than we usually get. Now, I imagine you always get at least the amount of follow-up that we got this week for, for ATP, right? There's always mm-hmm. like that amount. Mm-hmm. But we got a larger-than-usual amount of thoughtful, long follow-up. So because of that, I felt like this has clearly struck a chord with people. Let's go into it in some more depth. Yeah, I agree. No, it's, I, I sprung that on you uh, live as we were recording it because I hadn't really thought about it. And as it turns out, you as a professional podcasters had excellent thoughts. So thank you. Um, so let's talk about Twitter for a minute. We were talking either last episode or I guess it was last episode. This was what led into the um, into the Slack conversation. Uh, we were talking about why we take... Um, some conversations offline and don't talk about things on Twitter. 
And I thought I had a really great example that I wanted to call people's attention to. So uh, a week or two ago, uh, as we record this, um, I tweeted at Marco. Now, granted, I understand that mutual followers uh, for the two of us will see this tweet, and that's fine. Um, but I tweeted at Marco Arment. And then I, what I tweeted was, I'm telling you, code is the real deal. Code is uh, Visual Studio Code. It's an application for the Mac that lets you write code. Um, and I was um, quoting a tweet uh, that was something relevant to Marco about code, right? The, the specifics of my tweet are not that big a deal. Just suffice it to say, I was, I was enthusiastic about an app called Visual Studio Code. Immediately, and if memory serves, the first two replies to my tweet read as follows tried it today felt weird the key commands not mac compatible at command d typography a bit ugly tongue sticking out face next tweet nothing tongue new. sticking out face does make it a little bit better uh, it does make it a little bit better but next tweet nothing new on that right other tools been doing that for decades so i had a follow-up tweet where i uh pixelated the people that made those two tweets and my follow-up tweet reads as following as follows Twitter in a nutshell, me. Hey, I like this thing. Twitter. Oh, really? Let me tell you why that's stupid. This is not the most perfect example in the history of man of what I'm talking about, but it is a pretty darn good example of here it is. I'm saying to Marco, hey, I really like this thing. And two people come out of the woodwork and say, eh, it's not that great, right? And that's what bothers me about having a conversation really with anyone, but particularly someone like you or Marco or whomever where, and I think nerds are particularly bad about this, where I say, oh man, I really like something. Like, let's say, another great example of this is, oh, I really like Linkin Park, which actually I do really like Linkin Park. And then everyone comes out of the woodwork to tell you, oh my God, Linkin Park is the worst. Just why do you have to do that? And I'm trying to get better about that because I'm also guilty about uh, guilty of doing it. And in fact, just earlier today, I was tweeting with Joe Steele and gosh, what did I, oh, I, he had, he had, they had released their episode of um, Defocused where Todd from ILM uh, guested and they talked about Wrath of Khan. It was three hours. And so I had tweeted at them something like, oh my gosh, this is just as bad as Syracuse's episode of um, 555 at the movies. And then it occurred to me, I was just trying to make a joke, but that could easily be misinterpreted as a drive-by. Oh, seriously? So I almost immediately tweeted a second tweet, which was, but I'm going to listen to it as soon as possible, which is exactly true. I mean, I haven't had the chance yet, but I do plan on listening to it as soon as possible because I didn't want to have any... I mean, I think Joe would have understood because we have that relationship that I was just messing with him. But nevertheless, I'm more sensitive to it now. So I didn't want to be a perpetrator of the thing that I'm here lamenting as we speak. So I don't know. Any thoughts on this? Many. Go ahead. So um, my first thought is in regards to the image that you posted mm -hmm. where you pixelated the faces and usernames mm -hmm. of the the replies that was pointless well it's even i felt like it would have been really obnoxious to just take either links to the specific specific tweets or to just leave it unpixelated i, I agree that it's not hard to find the actual people who are tweeting these things well, it makes me want to well okay but i just i felt like it was an unnecessary amount of rudeness on my part not to at least try to obscure who it was yeah but, but um you didn't need the picture 
well, but that it maybe not, but it was I was trying to hammer home my point. Basically, there's just there's no there's no good move here, right? Like as soon as you make this as soon as you make a statement like the one that you've made, the tweet that you've you've sent, there's no there's no good move. If you don't do a picture, you're still inviting people to look. I'm just saying, like, mm-hmm. I, I, it's not really an indictment of you. Like, if you wanted to send that tweet, that's fine. I get it. Trust mm-hmm. me, I get it. Um, but the, you know, there's no point blurring it out. There's no point including the image. But, but you know, I'm just saying, like, it's it's a. I get why you did it, but it kind of doesn't really do anything, right? Because the tweets are there in their actual text you could just go and look for them well sure unless they were deleted in which case then that person is theoretically truly anonymous right because if they delete their tweets you can't tell who they are from my my picture and you can't go looking for the Mm -hmm. source tweet so at least it gives these people a chance to be repentant if they are repentant in the first place and perhaps they're not or if they need to be or if they need to be because they don't necessarily need to be Mm -hmm. um the second point that i want to bring up Mm -hmm. Is replies to that tweet. So as I look in the Twitter web, web browser, clearly one of the people that was in your screenshot uh, apologized to you. And they said something that I find very interesting mm-hmm. and is the whole problem here. Uh, your peers on ATP often respond to you in the same way. It's paraphrasing, but mm-hmm. it is the relationship that people feel to you which we talk about a lot, which is actually one of the biggest benefits of what we do, that the relationship people feel, they feel like that they're listening in a conversation with friends, they trust you, you know, they, you're someone that they enjoy time with. You know, I've, I've, I've heard many people say that before, and I've thought about it a little bit more myself, and, and what I would add to that kind of, that, that is an often used phrase is, my belief is the only time you ever hear people in that kind of friendly conversation in a quiet environment is when you are also a part of it, like in usual life. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why people attach that feeling of feeling like they're having a conversation with their friends because in the real world, the only time that you ever hear a conversation like that, in that tone, in that style, is when you are a part of it. So I think that there is that connection is built because of that. Like it just triggers the same things in our brains. Mm-hmm. So people feel like they're part of it and they hear the jokes and they feel like that, that if by responding, all they're doing is just adding to the usual jokes. Sure. But whilst that isn't a bad thing, I mean, I also think you need to, that, that not you, like, I think you need to remember that. And then we also need to remember that. And other people need to remember that we don't know that. And it's so difficult to infer that. Like, mm-hmm. so for example, mm-hmm. if John responded to you like that, you may have not taken it as nicely as you would on the show because there's no tone or anything in the message. Right. So if he would have tweeted one of those things to you, you may have thought that he was being a tool too, you know? Yeah, but I probably wouldn't have been as bothered by it because we have a not implied but an explicit, well, maybe that's a poor choice of words, but we have a a declared relationship, for lack of a better word, that I, I know that he's probably not being a jerk, or not deliberately anyway. But anyway, like that is why people respond in that way. Sure. But in the same vein, it's difficult because you don't know that. Sure. Because this person could be doing one or the other. So tongue out person, who actually was the guy who apologized, he's given himself a little bit, right? He's trying to to show you that he's trying to be a bit funny, but it still doesn't detract from when you're reading these replies and people are just being ridiculous to you. Exactly. Like, 
So I wanted to throw another, like a little example out there. This one isn't as deep. Uh, but me and Federico were having a, a joke or two on Twitter today. And people were getting involved in the joke. That was funny. And then people were trying to correct us. Mm-hmm. We were making a joke about Greenwich Mean Time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was saying, like, Greenwich Mean Time's the one true time. And he's like, oh, actually, it should have started in Rome because we were first. And then someone sent us a link to UTC. Being like, actually, now <laughs> UTC is recognized as the... Oh, really? And it's like, you can see, like, that we're joking here. Right. Um, and, I, and I just replied to it. I was like, well, it's based on... Even UTC is based on GMT. Uh, and then there wasn't an emoji that I wanted to actually put to the tweet. But this is the problem. Um... I know I feel this now more than ever that whatever I tweet is going to get both reactions where previously it got more kind of warm-hearted stuff. And I don't know why that's changed. Uh, I don't even feel like it is a change because of the amount of followers that I have. I think it's a change in me. And the way that I approach these things and because I don't put as much – I don't put as much stock in Twitter anymore as as a place which is the most important place for me online. Mm -hmm. Because I don't feel that. I think I'm less forgiving of it. Yeah, I I tend to agree. And I think part of the reason that I'm so sensitive about myself doing it is because – I see so much of it happening to, to to you guys. When I remember that conversation earlier today about Greenwich Mean Time and Roman Time and blah blah blah, and and I thought to myself as it was happening, oh God, somebody's going to jump in here and be like, mm, so it's actually UTC, just like you said, that's the real true one time zone and blah blah blah. And it's just, I don't know, I, I'm I just I'm if nothing else, I'm trying to be a lot better about not being that guy. And obviously earlier today, I didn't mean to be that guy, but I was briefly that guy. And so I'm trying to work on it. And uh, Joe Steele makes a somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but also good point in the chat room, in that it seems to be that everyone has kind of universally accepted the upside-down smiley face as kind of the I'm being sarcastic or I'm just messing around emoji. Um, Have you noticed that as well? Yeah, because it's crazy. It doesn't make any sense. Right. And so... It seems like that's kind of a universal understanding that, hey, if you end a statement with the upside down smiley face, the intention is that that prior statement is supposed to be tongue in cheek or sarcastic or what have you. And you're not really trying to be offensive. So I don't know. I just thought it was an interesting case study on, on why what what are some of the things that would cause you to or cause me really to take a conversation off of Twitter and into something private like Slack or an iMessage or something like that. Yeah, this is a this is an interesting thing about the internet. Yeah, now these days there was a little bit of feedback from Andy, and Andy wrote in: "Have you ever considered protecting your tweets as a way to help this? Have you thought about that, Mike?" Twitter is like one of my main things to try and market stuff. I don't actually know how well that works. I mean, I think it has meddling to good responses, if that most of the time uh but so no i mean by doing that i'm restricting it and i also for the things that all of the things that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks focus around the fact that people want to feel like they can be involved i feel like i would just be cutting off more and more people yeah 
from yeah, ever from ever having the ability to see anything or be involved in because all that twitter is is just you know it's like a voyeur system in people being able to see what other people are interested in and what they're doing and i still want to share that with everybody that wants to see that you know right. with some exceptions mm-hmm. um so no i i don't really think that protecting tweets is is the way to go yeah i feel the same way i mean the things i post on twitter as we talked about last episode, I'm getting more and more deliberate about them. So take that original tweet to Marco. I tweeted at that. I tweeted at Marco rather than taking it elsewhere because I wanted people who follow the both of us, who are presumably you know kind of nerdy, maybe developer types, to see that hey, I really like Visual Studio Code. I think it's great, and because that might be of interest to them. But the unfortunate side effect is what we talked about earlier. So. I, it was not an accident that I posted that to Twitter, and I think that Twitter's useful for those sorts of things. I, If I really didn't want any drive-by commentary, I would have taken it directly to Slack. But I thought, hey, maybe some drive-by commentary might be interesting, and beyond that, I think this might be pertinent or interesting to people who follow the both of us. And so I wouldn't want to take that away, and I wouldn't want to protect my tweets, but it is an interesting thought as a way to solve this problem. So, like a good, like a good example of how this stuff can be good is is uh, me and Matt and the relationship that we have via Bonanza mm-hmm. is that everything is ridiculous, right? And when people see me and him react on Twitter, they see how ridiculous we're being to each other and join in, and it's more fun. Yeah, that's a great because example. there's no really like there's no way to be corrected or whatever because. It's just comedy or silliness. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that is a, a, a something that I like and enjoy, and that works out for the better for me in those kind of exchanges. Yeah, that's a great example. Cool. All right, so that is that portion of the follow-up, but now we got to dive into um, a few other miscellaneous things. So uh, you want to tell us about names? Lena gave a good suggestion. Um, if you don't know someone's gender, you can use they or them as pronouns. Maybe start making it a general habit. This was in response to me getting that name wrong. I do try to do this, and I've done it on this show a few times, but there is a problem in that it starts to get real awkward sounding, mm-hmm. I find. I don't know if you find this. I but do. I saying do. When, you, when you're talking about someone, and so like I'll do it with, with I'll do it with Lena now just for the, you know. So that was really good advice from them. They made a really good point, and I think that that is good advice to receive from someone. And I was really happy that they sent it in to me, so I, we could talk about this and address them. Like I just think that starts to get real clunky sounding. I agree, and I also think there's this weird way in which it kind of sounds like you have no idea. Which I know you don't, but it really sounds like that. It's not smooth. It just makes it sound like you haven't got a clue. Uh, so I actually try to avoid this where I can and try and work out, you know, which is which via some digging. And I didn't do a good enough job uh, with Ryoko a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said. The other problem I have with it is it sounds like you're talking about multiple people. It also feels impersonal. Agreed. Yeah, it's just it, it fe- even though it's textbook right in every other way, it feels wrong, and that's why I too try to avoid it if I can. Um, but Lena is right that that is the better approach rather than assuming poorly. But man, it's hard to do. I agree with everything you said. Um, Jeff wrote in about LinkedIn. 
um, we were complaining about getting kind of blanket requests from people saying such and such person has asked you to connect. I had quite a few LinkedIn requests after the last episode. Yeah, I have no too. idea if people were trolling me or not. Um, Jeff said, LinkedIn used to make it easy to say how you're connected to someone, but this has now been downplayed. They kind of seem like they're just going for network growth uh, over anything else, over actually trying to establish meaningful relationships. This makes sense that they would kind of not want to put that hurdle in place because a lot of the people that are wanting to connect with you and extend into your personal network and get their business all up in your business they most of the time have no idea who you are they've never met you so if they had to say how they've met you well they can't actually answer that question so right that makes sense why they would do that but it's frustrating that they did yeah i don't know i just i really never use linkedin i think i said on on the last episode or the one prior that i have never gotten a job from linkedin i'd be surprised if i ever did get a job from linkedin so it's i feel socially compelled to be there but i don't get anything out of it other than a bunch of spam (laughs) but i know people that have yeah yeah oh definitely i mean it's a thing for a reason it's just i don't know that it's ever going to help you or i in our careers all right tell me about craft mac and cheese sent to which is sent to us as you noted in the show notes by everyone uh long-time listeners will be familiar with velvita and and its relationship Mm. to this show um, I'll try and find the episode where I spoke about my Velveeta Chronicle. Um, a couple of weeks ago, um, or a short time ago, Kraft changed their formula. They changed the recipe for their that mac and cheese. Oh, God, hang on. Ah! What, you're right? Jesus. What's going on? Oh, I opened the Fortune article and it started screaming the article at me. <laughs> Someone was just reading it. It must have been a video somewhere on the page. Sorry, it was too loud and I couldn't concentrate. (sighs) I apologize. Um, I was like, what is happening? Oh my God, what's going on? So a couple of weeks ago, so some time ago, they actually changed their formula. They changed the recipe of what they put in to their Kraft mac and cheese. Uh, They've removed artificial flavors, preservatives, and dyes, and nobody noticed. They didn't say they were doing it. They just did it, and now they've started to promote that they're doing it and that they've done it with an ad campaign. Um, And now, obviously, the majority of the campaign is focused around the fact that nobody noticed, which is an excellent way to go about this because this is one of those things that people complain about. People will complain now saying that they can now taste it. I have no doubt about that. But this is a great way. If you're going to do this, this is an excellent way to do this. Maybe I should try Kraft now. You know, I think the Kraft Velveeta debate it basically amounts to what did you grow up with? And mm-hmm. if we had mac and cheese, typically it was Velveeta, which is why I love it so darn much. I don't particularly care for Kraft mac and cheese. I don't think it's very flavorful, but it very well could be that you would prefer it, Mike. So uh, I would definitely encourage you to give it a shot and see what you think. Yeah, I don't know where I'm going to find it. I'm but... sure that America American food store would probably have it because it's... I would say of the two of them, the Velveeta is the more esoteric mac and cheese option that right. it's much easier to find uh craft than it is, uh, than it is Velveeta. Maybe I should just pick some up in Atlantic. I want to make sure I get the new one, right? 
I don't want to get the yeah, old that's one. That's true. That's true. And you know, it's just what it's just powder and pasta, right? Pretty much. Yep. Yeah. Whereas, I'm, admittedly, it's a little bit weird, but Vel- at least Velveeta is a kind of gelatinous goo, which I know I'm not selling it well now. But um, well, as episode twenty nine of this show was called, not a fan of the squeezing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, one of our better titles. I'm really not a fan of the squeezing. Uh, I know you weren't. I would encourage you to give that a shot. All right. Well, why don't you tell me about something else that's awesome these days? This week's episode is brought to you by Ministry of Supply. Ministry of Supply set out with a simple purpose, and that is that everyday clothing should be smarter by now. And this is something that has been created. This idea, this company is created by a bunch of people that came out of MIT a few years ago. Ministry of Supply are a performance professional menswear company that design clothes for the needs of a body in motion. They adapt to us. We're on the go all day. Our clothing should meet our needs, and that is what Ministry of Supply are all about making. They make polished business clothes that are engineered by MIT-trained engineers to provide technical benefits like body temperature regulation, um, so this will keep you from getting too hot or too cold. They have sweat-wicking fibers to keep you dry, and a stretchable fabric to allow you to move freely. Ministry of Supply's most tech-forward dress shirt, the Apollo, is made with moisture-wicking fibers infused with temperature-regulating phase-change material, the same same stuff that NASA has developed to keep astronauts cool in space. It also has a light knit construction for breathability and a four way stretch for mobility. All of their clothes are easy to maintain and wrinkle resistant, and so this means that you actually don't have to iron them, and you can wash and dry them at home. And so a couple of weeks ago, we were, I was at a wedding, right, for Matt, and Stephen brought um, a he bought himself a new white uh, Ministry of Supply shirt, and I remember the morning of the wedding, I'm standing there ironing my shirt that I brought with me from home because I don't have a white ministry supply so I have a lovely dark one with a check pattern. And he just put his shirt on and he was ready to go. Oh, and I felt like best. a chump. The best. I felt like a chump. You can find out more and shop online at ministryofsupply.com slash analog. And if you use the code analog, you'll get 15% of your first purchase and show your support for this show. Or if you want to shop in person at a Ministry of Supply store, just mention this show and you will get 15% off your first purchase. I wholeheartedly recommend their stuff. It is great. Thank you so much to Ministry of Supply for supporting this show and Relay FM. At this point, we should really dive into the meat of the follow-up, which is about the conversation we had last episode with regard to um, having a private relay host slack and and you know maybe we should have a public slack and how can we get how can we get the best of both worlds the best of the publicness of the of Twitter while having some amount of control over the crummy sides of Twitter the drive bys the snark etc so. We had a lot of follow-up, and we're going to try to use names of specific people who who wrote in when possible, but in some instances, we got the kind of the same feedback from a lot of people. And if that if you were one of those people and we don't mention your name, I'm sorry. And so a great example of this is several people asked us, well, what about Reddit? And so, Mike, what about Reddit? So this was, yeah, as you mentioned, quite a few people sent this in, and I can see why, Um and, and I can attest to the fact that Reddit is a great system to collect follow-up. So we have a uh, a Reddit discussion that occurs on CGP Grey's subreddit, 
um, every time an episode of Cortex goes out, the same as when an episode of Hello Internet goes out, or any of his videos, it goes on to his subreddit and people talk about them. Um, it's really good for that, and actually there is quite a bit of conversation that occurs between people. But I just don't know if it really provides me with what I'm looking for as a wider place to talk. It works really well for that show, but that's because kind of Clotex walked into an already very active self-policing subreddit. Um, and my experience of Reddit and talking to Gray about uh, what Reddit is like as a whole, because I don't really uh, participate in Reddit at all, actually. Um we're quite blessed to have quite a, a, a tame community, even though they can be mean sometimes. Uh, they're, they're actually pretty good um, on, on that subreddit, and that's taken a long time of work to get it to that point. So to quickly interject, the key here that I'm hearing as someone who doesn't really get on Reddit ever is that when set up appropriately, and I don't mean in terms of like administratively set up, it's just when it's self-regulating the way it should – the advantage of Reddit is that it will make snark and some of these crappy comments kind of disappear into the background. Is that fair to say? Yeah, people will downvote, and that happens quite a lot. Um, people upvote and downvote, obviously, and, and, and what I've found is that some of the, the snarky stuff goes down to the bottom. But I, I try to read the majority of stuff that goes into the Reddit thread, so I do still see those things. Um, but they're at least hidden from, from view in a lot of instances. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the bigger problems that I think uh, for for Relay FM as a whole is that Reddit is kind of at the moment and has been for a little bit looked down upon uh, by the kind of the community that we tend to roll in. Hi. Um, yeah. So I don't really think that it's going to be a good place for us, right? At least right now, you know, that may change, but there's been a lot of controversy. But just in general, you know, I don't use Reddit, never have. Uh, I I have a Reddit account, the, and I have unsubscribed from every subreddit except Gray's. So it's all I ever see. You don't use it. Uh, none of my friends seem to use it for any of their own work. A couple of them use it just to look at funny cat pictures and stuff, but in general, it feels like it's not really a place. Um, and and you know, it feels like even though you know with Twitter or if anything else, people can say that they are whoever they say they are, but they put pictures on and stuff. With, with Reddit, it's even less so, and and there seems to be more of a trend towards not even giving a name that's even close to your own on Reddit. You know, it feels kind of quite removed. Um, but my understanding is there is there are great communities there. I'm lucky to be a part of them, one of them. But uh, I don't, I just don't see it as something that I'm looking for right now. I think that um, it gives the place, it gives a kind of a place for people to interact with each other a little bit around a certain topic. Uh, but I don't think that it really answers what Becky and what others have been getting at. You know, like a a private place to interact with others with hosts and see hosts interact. I don't think that's what Reddit is. Like Twitter and and something like Slack, they are for about whatever's going on, whatever people want to talk about at any point, right? Like you just start talking about it. But Reddit's not really about that. It it tends to be focused around the links that are posted in the subreddit. And then people can kind of have little offshooting conversations around that topic, but I don't really think it's as freeform and as free-flowing. 
So I, I don't think that for me anyway that, that Reddit really has that kind of structure that works for what I think is the problem that's trying to be solved here. Yeah, I concur uh, as I have pretty much this whole episode with everything you've just said. Um, I would like to build on that by saying I suspect if I really gave Reddit a chance, I would probably like it because – and you were alluding to this earlier – I think that there are really great parts of Reddit and really, really crappy parts of Reddit, just like there are really great parts of Twitter and really, really crappy parts of Twitter. The problem is, is because I'm ignorant and because I've never really had a desire to kind of figure out Reddit, I've never seen some of the better corners of the Reddit community. And it very well could be that this, that a relay subreddit would be great. But even if that's the case, I concur that it doesn't really solve this exact problem or it it doesn't by necessity. It might alleviate or help it, but I, I don't think it solves it. And as you were talking, I, it, it occurred to me, well, what if rather than Slack, what if the hosts hung out in the Relay FM chat room on IRC more often? So the only time I'm ever in the chat room is when I'm recording this show. But what if the hosts hung out there? more often do you think that would solve or, or serve a similar purpose as to slack i mean hell slack used to and maybe still does have a way that you can get on slack with an irc client there's like some proxy or something like that that slack offers it's official as far as i'm aware or it was so you can connect an irc client to a slack channel so why wouldn't irc work uh for me personally i just don't really like it I don't either, <laughs> but I, I thought it, it's, it's so just primitive. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's not, it, you know, the, it serves a purpose. I mean, I wish that we used something other than IRC for our uh, live chat, but it's just the thing that is the most ubiquitous. It's free. It doesn't really take a lot of work. And it was kind of the de facto standard for what you do when you're mm-hmm. podcasting, that you have an IRC chat. So when we were setting all of this up, it was kind of what we just went with. Um, ideally, at some point in the future, I would personally like to move away from IRC, but I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. I just don't really think that it is very... It it doesn't really have a lot of the features that you would want. Like, it's basically impossible to get rid of someone. Well, you know, yeah, it's what not... You can boot them, but the friction to come back is so low. So, so low, lower than anything else. Like on Twitter, they have to go set up another account, which isn't that hard, but you've got to go and fill some stuff out. And IRC, you just refresh the page and put in a new name. It's not difficult. <laughs> well, you can ban somebody by IP address, but um, your point is still more right than wrong. That, But it, also the tools to do that are just impossible to understand. That is true. It is not it is not user friendly as as someone like Mike or myself in the chat room, it is not easy to kick or ban somebody like most authenticating clients. yourself is madness. You type mm-hmm. your password in plain text into the message window. Yep. You it, know? Like it's you're right. You know, all of it is so arcane. It really is. So many people are going to be mad at me, right? I'm no, sorry, I, IRC people. But. I completely agree with you. And you're right that the IRC people, like the Reddit people, are really, really devout in their belief that IRC or Reddit is good. But I completely agree with everything you just said. And in fact, there was a very brief window of time when the ATP chat room was getting kind of aggressive in a not good way. And we actually 
um, made Jason Snell an automatic operator, which is kind of to say like an administrator of the IRC channel, because at the time he was oftentimes in the chat as we were recording. And yeah, we told him, hey, if you see somebody just being a jerk, just kick them or ban them or do whatever you need to do. And we did that because, A, we trust him. B, because he's nice enough to be okay with it, and C, because this way somebody other than the three of us who are trying to talk and barely paying attention to the chat room as it is can handle when people are just being turds in the chat. And mm-hmm. so it, my, I say that to, to to illustrate your point or to hammer home your point that it is not easy to do. It's not the sort of thing that we could just multitask and do as we're recording. No, I mean, I barely read the chat room. Yeah, same here. Especially in a one-on-one show. Mm-hmm. All right, what did Patrick have to say? Patrick wrote a Medium post, uh, which kind of feels like the perfect place for follow-up of this nature. <laughs> uh, it's called Dear Mike and Casey. I went to just pull out a little section from that post. Most of the interesting people on the internet that I enjoy following are on podcasts, and podcasts are at their best when it feels like listening in on a couple of friends talking about interesting topics. As popular as shows like Serial and 99% Invisible are, I still find the most joy out of the conversational shows, whether it's getting deep with you guys on Analog or the rambunctious groups of the incomparable family of shows. I feel incredibly fortunate to be able to observe these little snippets of the lives of some interesting people who I admire. You are entitled to your private lives. You are already giving up so much of your life by putting it into the public sphere every week when you put it out on a podcast. So maybe my Twitter timeline is a little sad, but that's okay. I'll just put it on a podcast. Yeah, I thought this was a this was a really good way of looking at it, and it kind of, um, in, in many ways, doubles down on what Becky was saying. But uh, no, I thought this feedback was great, and um, I actually think that it takes it in a different route to what to what Becky was saying. I mean, that some of the heart is there, but basically, you know, what I think Patrick is getting at is. Just it's fine if you're not around mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter where you're having your conversations. I get quite a lot of you from uh, the podcast and that's enough. And I know that, that uh, Becky was very much in the thought of like live your own lives and just, you know, don't worry about me. I just want you to know this is how I feel. Uh, but I feel like Patrick has taken it a little bit further than that and is kind of just being like, I get enough. Like this, what you do is 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 fine, and you don't need to do anything more. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, no, it's great feedback. And you know, one thing I would like to say that occurred to me as you were reading this is, I really, really like when somebody writes a blog post as a response. And I think part of the reason I like it so much is because then we can refer to it on the show and link it from the show. So it's kind of like this whole topic all over again. We're, we're going one level deeper in this inception dance. You know, and what, what I'm saying is if that exact same letter had been emailed, it would have been fine and we still would have talked about it. But it's really nice to be able to put a link in the show notes and be able to say to people, hey, if you want to read this, go ahead. It's right here. It's on their blog. And so one way that I really like and one thing I really like to keep this conversation uh, in the public and keep it moving forward and to keep it in a place that everyone can participate is to do it is to have this conversation back and forth between blog posts and other blog posts and, and episodes of the show and so on. So I'm not saying don't email us, but 
if you're willing to put something on your blog about it, I think that's a really cool way of handling it. Yeah, I like to receive links over Twitter than emails anyway. Yeah, same here. Because I could just throw them in my notes document and come back to them. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's talk about Slack a little bit more specifically. And you have um, a lot of uh, different uh, things to talk about in this section. This did come in an email from Serena. Serena uh, is very much in the camp of there should be a Relay FM Slack, which is open to the public. And Serena is making her case with multiple points, and I want to address them all individually. So, mm-hmm. Relay hosts need not apply is point one. Instead of thinking of the Slack group being something that Relay hosts have to actively participate in, perhaps think of it as a place where Relay listeners can get together after listening to an episode to chat and talk about the topics discussed. I know for a fact that the Penatic Slack group is pretty self-regulated and self-entertained. If there's concern about the manpower or time needed to set up and monitor the Slack group, I'm sure there's plenty of listeners who would be willing to do it for you. I know that I would. There's a few points here that I want to address. Mm-hmm. So... Going back to the start of the show, this is the conversation going in a different path to last week because now we're like just straight out of Becky's post and into why there should be a Relay FM Slack group. Right, right. We're at, we're we're into a whole new territory here. Mm-hmm. So, of course, people don't have to participate, but some of us will need to. Right, there's going to have to be something in there. Maybe it's just me and Stephen, if such a thing was to exist. Right, there's going to have to be a minimal amount, but an amount which must be at a minimum of involvement from Relay FM, because we can't just create something and just let it go. Because who knows what could be going on in there? Right, right. We and- have to be there. We have to check it. That needs to. That needs to occur. Well, on the, I agree with you on the assumption that this is like an officially sanctioned thing. Perhaps, and I'm not advocating this for the record. I don't want that. If such a thing is going to exist, mm-hmm. I want us, I would ideally, I mean, we can't control people, but I would ideally like anything like that to exist as a thing that we have some kind of control. I agree. Of. But... Does it absolve you of responsibility if rather than being the the Relay FM Slack, it's the Relay FM listeners Slack? Well, Relay FM slid in the name, so, you know. Yeah. You know, so, like, mm. it's going to look like we have something to do with it, even if we don't. And what if it's the All the Great Shows Slack? Well, it's not doesn't belong to us, but yes, I get your point. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not advocating for this. It puts us in a very uncomfortable position, particularly you and Stephen, because then it's this like sort of sanctioned, but actually not at all sanctioned thing. And so you guys now have some compulsion to kind of monitor and control it, but you have no mechanism by which you can monitor and control it. So if yeah, you're listening it's to this, like renegade at that point, right. I, I, I re- that's like the least. Uh, desired outcome is to have something like that be set up that we have absolutely no control over. Right. So if you're listening to this and thinking, ooh, that sounds wonderful, stop thinking that because it's not wonderful, I assure you. Also, it's very likely that if it's not official that the the amount of people that would ever know about it to join it is going to be significantly smaller. Yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. It would always be a small group, I think, at that point. But if we're promoting such a thing, if it was to exist it would reach a larger audience of people that were interested. Um, 
I agree that there is a potential to have moderators in there. But even in that scenario, I still don't want things to be going on and we're not checking in on them. Having something like this would add another inbox to my life Mm -hmm. uh, as something that I had to make sure was okay. And I don't need to be in there all day, every day. I couldn't be. Uh, I can't even do that for the Slack that we are in and all the other Slacks that I'm in. Uh, but I would be able to check it at least a few times a day and sort of scan what was going through and contribute to discussions and stuff like that. But it's another place to go and look. Yep, I completely agree with this. And and that's what makes it sort of difficult is mm-hmm. I would want to be a good sport about it and I would want to participate in it as much as possible. But it would be difficult to add yet another inbox to my life because just like you said, I mean, we I can't manage all the things I have now. I declare Twitter bankruptcy with ever-increasing frequency over time. I am looking at my Slack uh, window on my computer in front of me. I am in eight Slacks as it is right now. I don't want to make that nine or 10 if I can avoid it. So then I'm in this uncomfortable position of, well, I want to be a sport. I don't want to be like, well, I'm too good and too busy for the Slack. But I am not too good, but I am too busy for that slack, you know? And so, like, I don't Mm -hmm. want to come across as a big jerk or self-righteous jerk, but, oh, my God, I would never be able to leave the computer if I was actually really keeping tabs on what was going on in in, in something that I'm hoping and assuming would be fairly high volume. Point number two, slack as a 24-7 chat room. As a person living in Australia, most of the time I'm not able to listen to Relay podcasts live and thus cannot participate in the live chat. The Slack room would allow listeners to have a place to chat about the episode, even if they're not listening to it live. No uh, quibbles with that. It's a a really good point. Um, You know, you can imagine such a thing where there would be uh, channels for each show and people could talk about the episodes as they listen to them. Mm -hmm. Right. That, you know, that that works. That makes a lot of sense. Slack group as a fan club. Sometimes it's not about talking to the host of the show, but rather talking to other people who love the same podcasts and who would understand the same in-jokes because of love for said podcast. So in that sense, the point of a member Slack would be different from the one Becky Hansmeyer suggested, as we pointed out. Again, yes, these 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 are the good points, right? Like these are all like I have no arguments with those. Um, it does allow people that enjoy a show to find other people that enjoy that show because at least I knew this was the case. The shows that I listen to, there's nobody in my daily life that listens to those shows as well. Um, I can't talk to people about them. And if I was hadn't found my way into an online community, you know, I found myself into a small Twitter community that then grew, I was then able to communicate with people and talk to people and share that. But if you're not a part of that, then, or you don't have one that you uh, is big enough, then I can see why you'd want something like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Slack is a place for long-form discourse. Uh, I know for a fact that many times after listening to Analog or Cortex or the myriad of Relay podcasts that I subscribe to and love, thank you very much, Serena, I find myself wanting to comment on and discuss about something said in the episode. Twitter is not suitable for this, the 140-character limit notwithstanding. There's no real way for me to post a comment and hope that other listeners can see and add their own thoughts. The only people I can have a discourse with are the hosts of the episodes themselves, so I end up firing up an email to the host who may or may not have gotten emails from other listeners about the same thing and now the host may feel that they need to email back or not email back and feel guilty about doing so 
Slack would allow listeners to rant and rave about something that the host is ranting and raving about without having to burden the host of their com- commiserating uh, emails. Good intention notwithstanding. This is another good point. Um, it will allow people to get their thoughts and feelings out in, in long form about an episode and discuss it. The idea of this kind of blending into instead of follow up is not as good as maybe it would seem. So where it might help us to not receive long emails, that follow up, as you can see from this one, sometimes can be very valuable. If that moved over to Slack and became a discussion, I can't include all of that in the show. Yeah. So that may could actually make my job both easier and harder at the same time. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's, I don't know. I go back and forth about this because in so many ways, I think a separate Slack from the host Slack, a Real FM member Slack, does sound pretty good. And to put on my amateur businessman hat, you could take the approach of the only way you you can be allowed access to that slack is if you're a member maybe a member of a show member of all the great shows whatever but you could put that paywall in front of it which is slightly to make a little bit of money for the host but also to prevent the turds from getting in because yeah. most yeah. most people who are jerks probably wouldn't want to pay the money to continue to be a jerk some will, of course, but generally speaking, that's not the case. And you and I were talking about this privately in Slack a little while ago. And let's go for a second and let's assume that you and Steven decide, all right, we're going to do it. We're going to make a Relay Listener Slack. The only way you can get access is if you're a, a member at, of any show at any level, but you have to have contributed some non-zero amount of money. And that's what we're going to do. And then let's say it takes off and everyone loves it. The hosts loves it, love it. The listeners love it. Everyone loves it. And you think to yourself, you guys think to yourselves, you know what? Anyone can be in, even if you don't pay. Well, then all the people who maybe have paid and got this perk or perhaps even joined specific, or you know, joined and became members specifically to get into the Slack, now they're all annoyed and kind of justifiably that this thing they paid for is now open to everyone. So I'm not saying these aren't things that can't be solved, but it's a lot more complex than just saying, yeah, why not, you know? Yeah, the longer and longer I've done things like this, you know, had a business and that, that operates in public and, and deals with people and, and can deal with people's thoughts and feelings and emotions in certain ways, has made me realize there is no easy answer to so many things, you know. The, the easy thing to do is just set it up, let it go, great. But as you can see, as I'm going through all of these things, I can't think like that anymore. There are there are risks and benefits associated with so many different points to do with something like this that they have to be considered. Uh, because at this point, it's like it takes it an extra step. We'd be running a community that people can enjoy or people can get hurt in. and And that is a difficult thing... And even something that, you know, we would might even want to get legal advice about. Yeah, I never thought of it that way, but you make a really great point. You know, what if somebody's being tormented in the relay listener's slack? In any way, it doesn't matter the mechanism, but somehow somebody feels unsafe or uncomfortable. What do what do you guys do or what do we as hosts do? You know, it's just everything yeah. becomes very, very, very gray. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it means that 
it has to be really, really, really well considered. Let's say for the sake of discussion, Mike, that that membership goes way up and or ad sales go way up and you had enough money, you as in you and Steven had enough money to hire a community manager whose either part-time or full-time job was to monitor the slack and make sure everything was staying civil. Would that be something that appealed to you or do you think you would that would that would be the last place you would use that extra money in the world where we would want to hire someone like that right um that would make the idea of having something like this more appealing mm -hmm. right if i knew that there was someone in there that was looking after things from a moderation perspective and I could just go in whenever I wanted to join in the fun. Mm -hmm. That would make the whole thing a lot more, um, a lot more appealing. And this is something for me to be able to trust. This this is something we'd have to hire someone for. They couldn't be a volunteer, and it probably couldn't be a listener. Why do you say that? I don't want it to be someone who specifically has uh, an emotional connection to us because they may overwork themselves or, or uh, try and make decisions based on things that they think that we would maybe try and maybe assume decisions based on what they know or don't know about us. Mm -hmm. um, but more than anything, the reason I say not to be a listener is because I don't want it to be a volunteer. Those two things go hand in hand. Um, this needs to be someone we pay because it is a job and it needs to be treated like a job. Yeah, and yeah. In my my thing, the only way that you can guarantee that is by putting that to it. Because let's say someone really screws up, it has to be a consequence. Mm -hmm. There's no consequence to a volunteer. So you get your time back. Yeah. But, and this also comes from advice from friends of mine that have had and done similar things like this. Interesting. Is that you, you really want this kind of thing to be someone you employ. Hmm. I, um, I, when we were talking about this earlier, we never got quite this deep, and I hadn't considered uh, several of these points you just made. That's, I've been thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's tough because I think I speak for you in saying, in principle, both you and I want this to happen. It's just... There's a lot, a lot, a lot of things that need to be figured out and considered before it can. I would say that, in principle, I would like it if there was a place where people could get together and talk. I, I don't necessarily think or know if that's Slack or yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I would agree um, with that. But I do really like the idea of there being a, a community which is, you know, in, in the loosest sense of the word, a place where people can go to share their thoughts and feelings about something that they enjoy. I would like something like that to exist. I just don't know if that's the place. And as uh, Serena points out in her last point, is Slack the best platform for doing this? Maybe not. The lack of topic threads can be problematic, but it would be better than Twitter or, God forbid, Reddit. And she makes a very good point. <laughs> Yeah. So like Slack is probably the top contender because there's nothing else. Um, I'm keeping my eye out for other types of product that exist based around this. Like maybe something like a forum is better than a Slack. I, I, I don't know the answer. Um, I don't think we're going to come close to that answer for a while. 
but I am actively thinking about this kind of thing, just as my own tastes are changing about interacting online. And as I'm full feeling myself being pulled away from Twitter a little bit, uh, I would also like to maybe think about the way that our listeners may or may not be feeling the same. Yeah, yeah, very well put. All right, let's talk about something else that's awesome. This week's episode is also brought to you by IT Pro TV. Do you have a career plan set in motion? Whether you're looking to start a new career in IT or you're already working in the field, certification and credentials are key to getting that job or promotion that you've been looking for. Well, enter IT Pro TV. Their mission is education through engagement, with up-to-date, high-quality video content and access to the most important tools you need for certification. IT Pro TV includes over 1,000 hours of content, with 50 hours being added each and every week. They have over 100 step-by-step virtual machine labs and transcender practice exams, which usually have a $109 value. They are a one-stop shop for just one low monthly subscription price with a no-hassle cancellation policy. All of their courses are streamed live and on demand. They're available worldwide to your Chromecast, Roku, PC, iOS, or Android device. And they're also now on the Amazon Fire TV and the fourth generation Apple TV as well. You can really learn wherever you want to. Course topics include Microsoft Technology Certification, Apple Certified Support Professional, Ethical Hacking, AWS Virtualization, Google Apps for Work Administrator and Google Groups for Business, plus Desktop and Server Support for OS X, Windows and Linux and IT Pro TV is now offering new courses on Cloud Plus and Active Directory in Azure, plus Cisco ASA Express Security with Todd Lamley. They have so much stuff, so many acronyms that I don't understand, some <laughs> things that I do understand. I know that there's just some really great stuff in here. If you're a working IT pro, this is the ongoing resource you need to keep your skills current. Corporate and group pricing is also available. And some of IT Pro TV's clients include Harvard, MIT, UCSD, Stanford, and more. They're really quick to produce up-to-date content. So let's say that some big security issue pops up. They can be streaming live that day talking about how they, how such a thing can be fixed. And within just a couple of days, if that, they will have those episodes available, all edited and polished up with loads of notes and great stuff like that for you to go and watch on demand. You can watch live, watch on demand, whatever you want. It's just like podcasting. Check out itpro.tv slash analog to upgrade your brain with the most popular IT certifications. Premium subscriptions are normally $57 a month or $570 a year. You can try it for free for seven days when you sign up using our code analog30, that's A-N-A-L-O-G-U-E-3-0 to check out their courses, live stream, and more. You'll also get 30% off the lifetime of your account. That's less than $40 per month or 399 for the entire year. One last thing, don't forget to mark your calendar for their CCMP security courses, which will stream live for the first time beginning March 21st. Just go to itpro.tv slash analog, use the code analog30, and try it for free for seven days, plus save 30% of the lifetime of your account. Thank you so much to ITProTV for their support of this show and Relay FM. Excellent. All right, so we're doing a little Relay Your Feels. Yes, uh, Stuart would like to know, Casey, how do you balance family time and learning slash making new things? I have an eight-month-old, and it's a challenge. Uh, first, congratulations, and hopefully you're sleeping. <laughs> the 
There is no really great answer to this question, unfortunately. I just try to make time when I can. And maybe that means I don't watch the TV show I want to watch or, you know, I binge them periodically rather than um, rather than watching them kind of as they come out. Uh, basically, it's all about making choices. So another, actually, here's a great uh, example. I used to, before Declan, wash my car pretty much every weekend in the summertime, as long as the weather was decent. I wash my car once every couple of months now, which I am embarrassed by, but that's just one of the things that I don't really do as much anymore because I have other more important things to do. Maybe that's a blog post. Maybe that's working on some personal project. Maybe that's podcasting. Maybe it's any number of things. And of course, those things are often Aaron and Declan, but you know, for the sake of this conversation, any number of things that I may want to be doing more than washing my car. And so because of that, I've just had to make the choice of washing my car. You know what? It just doesn't happen as often anymore. And it's basically, as with everything else in life, it's just trade-offs. Uh, James would like to know, what do you think, is this is to both of us, is the worst thing about your respective podcasting personas? Is there anything you dislike? So I have a bad habit. Well, let me start talking- with this. Very funny. Very funny. <laughs> I have a bad habit of talking over people when I get passionate about something. Uh, I do this in my real life. I do it in shows. Luckily, I can fix this in editing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is not so lucky for the people in my life or the people I record <laughs> with. Uh, it's not my intention most of the time, you know, to be ru- I'm not trying to be rude, but my brain seems to work in overdrive and then my mouth just starts spitting out things that are in my brain just because I'm excited about something. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've all been there. Uh, for me, um, it's something I've been working on ever since I've been, even actually before I've been podcasting, I've just always been working on this, but I hedge way too often. Um, it's a fine line, right? Because you don't want to be like, Apple is the best company in the world. But on the other side, if every time I bring up Apple, it's, well, I think Apple's the best or, you know, all things considered, Apple's pretty darn good or, oh, well, in my personal opinion, Apple is really good. Um, I just I feel like I hedge too darn much. And it's just such a fine line between being the cocksure, I know everything and everyone else is crap person and someone who's so humble they can't they can't get their thoughts out without hedging for 10 minutes. Or the other thing I find myself doing a lot is repeating myself because I feel like I've made a point. I think about what I've just said and think, oh, that didn't really make sense or "Mm, that could be misconstrued. And I repeat myself. So, which I think I just did both of those things just now. So there you go. And the last question today comes from Will. What is the most embarrassed you've ever been? Oh, that's an interesting one. This is a good one. Uh, uh, you started on the last one, so I can start on this one if you'd like. Uh, um, so I, when I was, <laughs> I see what you did there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have three, hopefully short stories. Um, oh, wow. Because I I can't think of, I can't think of any specific time that's like far and away the most embarrassed I've ever been. But I think I can think of two examples from when I was younger and one that happened to me just today. Uh, when I was younger, uh, when I was in like first, second grade, something like that, I was playing baseball. Um, I was on third base. I believe I was defending. I wasn't a runner. 
Um, I had had to use the little boy's room so bad I cannot even tell you, but I thought I could make it till the end of the game, and I did not make it to the end of the game. Not good. How not old? good. Uh, like first, second grade, something like that. How old is that? Uh, seven, eight years old-ish, okay. something. Something along those lines. Uh, not good times. Not good times, my friend. Just let loose. Couldn't hold it anymore. Let loose right there on third base. Not good. Uh, fast forward to high school. And you have to understand back that, out on the baseball field again. No, we're not on the baseball <laughs> field again. Um, I you have to understand that I went to high school from 1996 through 2000. So, and this is the ages of approximately uh, 15 to approximately 18. And at the time, nobody had a cellular phone, and some people, but not many, had pagers. And if you happen to be very young and don't know what a pager is, suffice to say, you would call a telephone number and it would say, I forget how it was phrased, but basically enter the number you would like this person to call and you would type in a number. And then there was a little device that this person would carry around about the size of a deck of cards. And that number that you entered would show up on their pager. So typically what you would do is you would enter your own phone number once you dialed their pager number, and it would be the cue of the person who had the pager to call that number. I had a pager watch. Really? Yeah. That's cool. This was cool. maybe a couple... This was as pages were going out of fashion when I worked <laughs> for British Telecom. Uh-huh. And they were still trying to find other ways to make it useful. And, and I had a pager built into a Swatch watch. That's really cool. Did you like it? Yeah. I thought it was amazing. Did anyone else use it? Like, did your friends use it or no? Pages were never a thing here. Oh, that really? Problem. Oh, I didn't yeah, know that. nobody really... Well, at least not in kids. They weren't really as much a thing yeah, well, as they were in the States. That's the thing. In the States... At the time that I was in high school, and, and I'll explain how I had a pager in a second, but at the time I was in high school, basically the only people who had pagers were the drug dealers and the delinquents, which somehow decided that pagers were the cool kid thing to have. Well, long story short, Dad had one for work that he never, ever used, and he like never gave out the number for work. And so somehow I decided that would be my pager now. Maybe they gave it to me because they thought it would be useful to get in contact with me. I don't remember the specifics of the situation, but um, my dad being the super nerd that he is, he had these like kind of index cards that he would print out like his pager phone number and instructions on how to use it, blah, blah, blah. And I basically took that like Word document or whatever it was, repurposed it, crossed out his name, put my name in it and printed this out as like a freshman in high school and gave this out to my friends and nobody ever used it. And I felt so embarrassed that here it was, A, I had to hide it from my teachers because you weren't allowed to have it as a kid. B, it wasn't even really mine. And C, I was giving out these like index cards with instructions, like a total freaking nerd. Oh, it was just painful. Everything about it was painful. That was long-term embarrassment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I still think about that from time to time. And then Mm -hmm. finally, just today, And I think this kind of embarrassment is the kind that I find myself running into most frequently even today. And this kind of embarrassment is when I try to be self-deprecating and fail miserably. So today I was walking back from like an all-hands meeting at work, and I hit a junction in the hallways such that there was, you know, a hallway. There there was basically a big plus sign, right? And there was somebody directly in front of me that needed to go through the, the junction, and there was someone to my right that was that that was trying to go through the junction the other direction and they both stopped and kind of did that awkward like i don't know which one of us is going to go i don't know if one, which one of us is going to go and right as they both stopped and started that awkward dance i walk up and i see them doing this awkward dance and i was like well screw it i'll just keep going because they're going to be in this loop for an hour and so i was like oh we should have a stoplight here huh and i just kept walking through and 
so the guy next to me, I can't remember what he said, but he made some sort of joke like, and it wasn't, it wasn't a mean joke, but he said something. God, I can't remember what it was, but I responded to him and said, yeah, well, I drive a BMW. So I'm used to being, being a jerk. Oh. Cause I meant it to be like, Oh, all BMW drivers are jerks. I was trying to be self-deprecating, but what ended up coming out of my mouth was, well, I drive a BMW, so yeah. this is my room. I don't know if you'd notice oh, that BMW God, yes. in the parking lot, yes. but it belongs to me. So bad. Oh, Have I shown God. you my keychain? Right, right. Oh, oh Casey. And I meant yeah. it. I meant it to be self-deprecating. Hand on heart, I, I really honestly did. And as soon as it happened, I was like, oh, God, I'm such a moron. Anyway, those are my quick stories. What's what are your stories, sir? Um, outside of embarrassing things with trying to get girls to go on dates with me <laughs> uh, in my in my spotty teenage years, the most embarrassing story for me is one of my earliest memories. I was four, probably four years old. That's how embarrassed I was about this. And you're still talking about this like 20-some years later. First day of school. Oof. This is like this yeah. kindergarten. That's before kindergarten, isn't it? This is what um, in the school that I went to is called the nursery class. Okay. And this was at ages four to five. So this you is like preschool there. in the United States, I believe. Yeah, I still went to an, exter- an external nursery, but the school that I went to also had this. So you'd be there from ages four to five. You could start at four or start at five. Then you'd go into a class called reception and then year one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was uh, – actually, I may have been three to four, actually, but, but so I, I, I assume I was four years old. All right, so anyway. So I get there. You know, I don't remember any of this part, but you know, whatever it is that you do on the first day, you do all of that. And then I remember um, sitting down on the carpet, right? Sitting down on the carpet, um, like like the, the kind of the story time area, I guess. And I'm sitting down, and I have my legs just in front of me, right? Like I'm sitting down, my legs in front of me. And the teacher says to me, cross your legs. So I took my legs and I put one foot over the other. <laughs> And everyone laughed at me because what I was supposed to do is to, I don't know what the actual term for this is. In America, Uh, it's sitting Indian style. Yeah. I also didn't want to say that. Well, yeah, it's, it's just the way it is. And this is native American Indian, not, not um, Asian Indian, but, but the idea where you cross your legs together in on themselves. But yeah, I, I just took one leg and put it over the other. And everyone laughed. Oh, and poor I will baby never Mike. forget that. Oh, apparently Matt in the chat is saying it used to be Indian style, but it's now pretzel legs. Or which uh, makes sense. Reglel in the chat is saying crisscross applesauce, which I think I've heard from time to time. This is the, you know that I'm old because I refer to it immediately as Indian style, but not old enough to have a child that has to worry about these things. Yeah. So I didn't know the the currently acceptable uh, uh, verbiage for it. Pretzel legs. In the in America, I can see really working. Uh, in the UK, it's just cross legged, mm-hmm. uh, but my four year old brain couldn't work that out because I'd never sat like that before. Sure, yeah, you know, or I may have done it but didn't realize I was doing it. Like no one had ever told me to do it at home, um, and that is just one of those things where I know that happened. 
uh, and it has stuck with me because I've thought about it my whole life. Like, yeah. I don't have many other memories from around that age. I don't think many people do, but I will never forget that. It was. I can't imagine I will ever feel more embarrassed because I've carried the embarrassment for the last 24 years, <laughs> right? So it's always gotten worse in my brain. Like now when I think about it, everyone was shrieking, people were crying, you know? Right. It was, it was so horrific. Mm. Yeah, so that That's is intense. the most embarrassed that I've ever been. There was a couple of years later, uh, also in school, probably about six or seven, a breaking wind incident during story time, <laughs> which I will also never forget. Oh, goodness, that's funny. Mm-hmm. All right, sir. Anything else? No, that's it. That's it for my stories as a, as a four- to seven-year-old. Oh, I'm so embarrassed.